I um, have made it 15 days into the new year. And um, I've already messed up. I want you to be brutally honest with me this morning. I want you to raise your hand if you've never even made an attempt to make a New Year's resolution this year. See, there's a bunch of us right there. Okay, so and the next question I want you to ask, answer is, how many of you have made some sort of New Year's resolution and already messed it up? A few of those too? Yeah, right? Yeah, me too. You're not failures, right? You just have failed, okay? So don't claim that you're a failure and just, and just continue the blunder all the way through the year. You have an ability to, you know, get a fresh start and to, to move on. So that's good news. I'm uh, happy to be back um, studying again for sermons. It's extremely exciting. It's super fun. I learned a ton this week, and I hope that I can share those things with you this morning. And hopefully we can get you some, some good, uh, good stuff to, uh, to work on this week. The series that we're going to begin is entitled Jesus the Radical. Jesus was an extreme character, and not only was he an extreme character back in his day, but he's an extreme character now. Um, there is all sorts of, uh, of, of opinions about who he was and who, who he is and, and how he interacts with us and how he relates to us. Uh, how many of you remember flannel graphs? Remember flannel graphs? There's some, the yes, there's some, there's some good old school song, uh, Sunday school teachers in the room. And I remember Jesus on the flannel graph. Typically, he was sitting in a white robe and he had a big blue sash and he had some sort of halo-ish, glow-ish something or other behind his head. And there was typically lots of children around him, right? The Jesus of flannel graph could skip across the water and he could feed the 5,000 and he could do all of these great amazing things but he was a little piece of flimsy felt. The Jesus of the flannel graph. Some of you may remember those days. All these great stories. They, they either led back to or eventually led up to Jesus. What he could do, what he was like. As we mature and as we grow older, these stories with their heroes become thought of almost as, as mythical and even fiction. We love the idea of a heroic Jesus, but when it comes to the struggles of real life, we have a hard time connecting. Our relationships are more complicated than Jesus of Sunday school. Flannel graph Jesus just sometimes just doesn't cut it. It seems like we're in a in a culture and an age where everyone is trying to reinvent who Jesus was, who Jesus is. What was he about? What did he, what did he do? What did, what, who did he hang with? If he was alive today, what would he be like? Born in a stable in an obscure village. From there, he traveled less than 200 miles from where he was born. Never won an election, never went to college, never owned a home, never had a lot of money. He became a nomadic preacher popular opinion turned against him. He was betrayed by a close friend that was described to us by Ron this morning. 
His other friends ran away. He was unjustly condemned to death, crucified on a cross among common thieves on a hill overlooking the town dump. When dead, he was laid in a borrowed, a borrowed grave. Centuries have passed. Empires have risen and fallen. Mighty armies have marched. Rulers have reigned. Yet, no one has affected man as much as Jesus. He is a central figure in the human race. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, Jesus Christ. He is the image of the unseen God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him were created all things in heaven and on earth. More than 2,000 years later, we are still trying to figure out who he is. The great emperor Napoleon said this. He says, I marvel that whereas the ambitious dreams of myself, Caesar and Alexander, should have vanished into thin air, a Judean peasant named Jesus should be able to stretch his hands across the centuries and control the destinies of men and nations. Another hero, well, maybe to some, more of a current day and age hero, Bono from U2. He says, Jesus was either Charles Manson, a nutcase, or he was who he said he was. I'm simply fascinated by a child born into straw, manger poverty. The Christmas story is remarkable. It's a story that never ceases to amaze me. Bono says, the world works on the principle of karma. What you put in, what you put out, will always come back to you. But then entered the story of grace in the person of Christ, and it turned the world on its head. We have authors, we have writers, we have singers, we have all these different uh, people pouring in their thoughts on how Jesus would interact and, and respond to all of the craziness in this world. Sometimes we have this ultra-masculine Rambo-type character wearing an ammo belt and carrying guns, sporting a scarf tied around his head. Mark Driscoll says that some new emergent types want to recast Jesus as a limp-wrist hippie in a dress with a lot of product in his hair, who drank decaf and, and made sta- weird statements about life while shopping for the perfect pair of shoes. But in the book of Revelation, Mark says, Jesus is a prize fighter with a tattoo down his leg, a sword in his hand, and a commitment to make someone bleed. This is a guy I can worship. I cannot worship a hippie diaper halo Christ. Christ because I cannot worship a guy I can beat up. I feel some are becoming more cultural than Christian. And without a big Jesus who has authority and hates sin as revealed in the Bible, we are going to have less and less Christians. We are going to have more and more spiritually confused, self-righteous blogger critics of Christianity. Hmm. I can't see Jesus as an 80-pound white glowing halo flannel graph skipping over the water. But I'm also not willing to take him as a modern day warrior like Jason Bourne or Rambo or Hulk Hogan or you name the warrior. Jesus was cool before cool was even cool. In this series, we want to discover exactly who Jesus was. We don't want the culture's interpretation. We don't want to see him through the eyes of a particular generation. We want to go back and find out who Jesus really was. 
Jesus wasn't who the people expected back then. And he definitely is outside the realm of modern day expectations. C.S. Lewis describes Jesus in his book, uh, The Chronicles of Narnia. He describes him as anything but safe. He is good, but he is definitely not safe. I'm not here to say what Jesus is or isn't. I want us to go back and look at what he was then, what he is now. I want him to say who he is. Turn with me back to Mark chapter 2, the passage that Don just read. Mark chapter 2. This, this passage was read, but I want us to look at it. I want us to continue to, to dive into it. And we're going to break it down a few, a few times this morning, a few places this morning, and kind of dig in and see if we can get a better understanding of who Jesus was. Mark chapter 2, we're going to go ahead and, and read this passage one more time and uh, try to get a, uh, a, a grip on it here. Let's start in verse 13. Everybody with me? Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13. Pull it up on your apps. Pull it up in your, or, or turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 2. If you don't have one, steal your neighbors. I gave you permission to do that. It's the only time you're allowed to steal, and especially during church. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 13, says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Later, Levi, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples into his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers, But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call those who think, not call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Verse 18, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, well, why, doesn't, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and like the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the, fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving even a bigger tear than before. And no one puts new wine in old wineskins, for the wine would burst the wineskins, and the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Many times I've tried to understand these passages of Scripture and these verses, and many times I've fallen short. Many times I haven't quite got what, what he's actually trying to say here. I hope this morning we can pull some pieces together and help you understand a little better who Jesus was. Let's look to God again in a word of prayer. God, thank you so much for giving us your word, for allowing us to see into who you were uh, in your son, Jesus Christ. God, help us this morning to, to learn um, from these passages who Jesus was and how he how he relates to us and what it means for us in our lives. How we are to respond to what you were in Jesus Christ, in your Son, come here on this earth to dwell among us, 
to perform many miracles and many signs and many wonders, become the amazing rabbi that he was, and God then give his life for each and every one of us. And on a third day, rise again so that we can also look forward to rising again someday with you and, and again being reconciled with you in a perfect situation in heaven. God, I pray that you'll bless this morning as we, as we learn more about these things. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want you to think about it. A couple of statements here. The way Jesus treated people back then is the way that he treats us now. Well, that's not too difficult to understand. The, the same way he was back then is the same that he is now. How did he treat people back then? Now, we're going to look a little bit into that. But he didn't care who he was hanging out with. It didn't matter much to him whether you were top of the list, top of the line type of a person, or if you were the bottom scum of the earth. It didn't matter. This idea is pretty simple and pretty easy to understand. The next one's a little tougher. Look at it. The way Jesus treated people then is the way that he expects us to treat people now. Now, wait a minute, preacher. I totally understand that Jesus has the right to treat anybody the way he wants to treat them. But you're telling me I have to treat people the way he treated people? Yeah. I am. Because many times throughout Scripture, Jesus says, come, follow me. Follow me. Follow me. We've got to do the same thing that Jesus did. The way Jesus treated people is the way he expects us to treat people. So let's look at some old school terms from this passage of Scripture. We come across a tax collector. This is not our typical IRS agent. We used to have one of those in the church. We'd give him a hard time anytime we came across the, the words tax collector in the Bible. Because tax collector in the, in the Bible is a total different view of, of, of a man, a view of a person. The tax collectors of the day were typically Jewish. And because the Roman Empire was over the Jews, these Jewish men who wanted to be tax collectors would bid for the job. They would come in with the Roman the, the, the Roman authorities and they would bid. Well, I, I'll, I'll tax my I'll tax my city 180 thousand a year. Well, well, I'll, somebody else raise their hand. Well, I'll, I'll, give, I'll give you 190 thousand a year and, and I'll give you 200. And evidently, Levi said, oh, I'll do 210, 210,000. I'll tax my town 210,000 this year. Done. You got the job. The Roman Empire put Levi in charge of taxing his city. Levi was the scum of the earth because no one liked him. He was a traitor. He had, he had gone against the Jews because he was collecting taxes for the Roman Empire. Somebody had to do it. Levi was the man. Roman guards were sent to enforce, but this guy is the one who set the tax. How much, how often, and in what form? These tax collectors were rich because they were, they were pilfering. There, there was deceitful. There was deceitful beyond, beyond fishermen and, and our modern day used car salesmen. They were, they were deceitful to the core. There was no salary for this, these men. There was no hourly rate. These guys were basically paid whatever above and beyond the 210000 that Levi collected, that Matthew collected from the town, was what he lived on. And they did well. He was a servant of the hated Roman government. He was an extortionist. 
Think about it with me. Who in our culture today makes profit off the oppression of others? Can you think of anybody? Who would we call tax collector in today's day and age? I know politician is the first thing that popped into my head too, but that's probably not completely accurate. The oppression of others. Who is out there oppressing others and, and causing them to do things that they don't want to do for a profit? Pimps, sex trafficking, traffickers, drug dealers. I mean, these guys are making profit off the oppression of others, right? They're, they're making, a, making it big because they're oppressing others. This was the tax collector of the day. Tax collectors were hated. They were cut off from everything. They weren't allowed to participate in any judicial uh, proceedings. They were not allowed to be in the temple courts. They weren't allowed to per, um, be involved in any of the religious proceedings. They were completely shunned, most of the time by their families as well. Tax collectors hung out with tax collectors because that's the only people they could hang out with. And so we see Jesus. Where's he going? He's going to go eat with the tax collectors. Jesus looks at his two fishermen that he just hired off the docks. And he says, you know what? Those two scumbags aren't, 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 enough of a, uh, aren't scumbags enough. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and just invite in a tax collector as well. Levi, come follow me. As if he didn't have enough scum to pull alongside of him. He goes and gets some more. These are the kind of people that Jesus hung out with. Did you see that passage? Did you see that in the verse? What verse was it? Some of the Bibles have it in parentheses. That right at the end of verse 15, look at it. It says, there were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. These are the kind of people he hung out with. Tell me this. You're an owner of a Fortune 500 company. I know it's a stretch. It's a huge stretch to think about what it would be like. You're an owner of a Fortune 500 company and you're going to hire, you're going to pull alongside of you, you're going to mentor 12 VPs to take over the company in about three years because that's, that's the longevity of your life. Who are you going to pull? Who are you going to come and ask to help you take your Fortune 500 company into the future? Two dock workers and a pimp? Hmm. Makes sense, right? Tax collector. Let's look at another old school term or old school phrase. Eating dinner at Levi's. So he calls all these, all these tax collectors together and he's going to go ahead and go have dinner with Levi. To eat dinner at someone's house was to say that there was an agreement, a friendship with them. There were rules about this. You just didn't go into anyone's house and have dinner. Verse 15 says, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. These are the kind of people that hung out together. And Jesus joined in with them. Anyone who really didn't fit into society were very well at home with Jesus. Let's look at the next term, Pharisees. The separated ones. The word literally means separated ones. 
These were a group of religious people who stayed out, or, or started out rather, really trying to please God, but then began to separate themselves from anything unclean and unholy. They began to separate themselves from anything unclean and unholy. We're, we're clean and you're not. That's what they would say. In this passage, they stand back and judge what Jesus is doing. They are questioning what's going on here. Many people say if, if Jesus were alive today, he would hang out on the gangbanger streets and in the bars, on prostitute alley. You know, I think for the most part I agree. I think that we would be surprised if Jesus walked in. But why was he there with the tax collectors and other sinners? Jesus answers. He answers healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. This is not a politically correct statement. In today's world of relativism, relativism and tolerance and situational ethics, you, you don't just call people sickos. Healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. What did he just do? <laughs> he basically just called all these people sickos, right? He just called them. These people are sick. These people are messed up. But you know what? They were okay with that because they knew it also. Do you think you would be comfortable in the presence of Jesus? Do you think you would be comfortable? You're invited to a men's retreat. Men, obviously ladies wouldn't be invited to a ladies retreat or a men's retreat. You're invited to a men's retreat and you're standing around with a bunch of guys on break and Jesus walks into your group. What do you do? I think I'd be a little uncomfortable. For one, he can read my mind um, and that's a little nerve-wracking. And, and two, he's just not safe. Good, but definitely not safe. The way he dealt with people then is the way he deals with people now. He would be hanging out with the sickos, not those who think they are religious. The moment we forget we are sick, the moment we think that we no longer need a doctor, the moment I think I'm righteous, I step outside of the realm of where Jesus works. I separate myself from him the second I think that I'm righteous. There are Pharisees in the crowd who have taken religion and rituals to a place of saying, I come to church to make this about me. I'm better. I know I'm better because I can look at others and see the difference between them and myself. And I can see that their lifestyle isn't quite, doesn't quite measure up to mine. Now I make this about, about staying separated from anything that seems unclean by my trained eye. And Jesus says, congratulations. You've made it. Because of your religion, you no longer need me, and I no longer need you. Pharisees were not the ones Jesus was trying to help out here. He wants to hang out with those who know there's something wrong. Not only are we hanging out with the wrong crowd, but we're just doing the wrong things. Look at verse 18. Once, once when John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, some people came to Jesus and asked, Why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and Pharisees do? Jesus replied, Do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them. 
but someday the group will be taken away, taken away and then they will fast. This Jesus guy was different. He not only was partying with the sinners, but he was also not doing the right things like fasting. Let's look at this, this idea, this concept of fasting with the bridegroom. Back in this day, there was, it, was, it was much more easy to understand. Back in this day, if you were invited to a wedding, you were, you were invited to a week-long celebration. You probably traveled from a, a, a village or a town far away, and you know, a, a, a great distance, and you traveled to this this village where the wedding was going to take place. And you stayed there for this week-long celebration. The guests and family ate and drank and celebrated the event. There was no fasting. For Jewish people at the time, that was strange. That was out of the ordinary. It was only for these type of celebrations that they would stop their weekly fasting. There was no religious Rituals other than celebrating with the bride and groom. Imagine you're at one of these week-long feasts. And someone offers the person sitting next to you another course of the meal. And that person says, no thanks. Today is my day to fast and mourn. What do you think would happen to that person? They get kicked out. It's like, get out of here. If you're going to fast and mourn... You belong somewhere else. This right here, this is a celebration. We're, we're celebrating here. And if you want to go fast and more, you go right ahead. But right now, we are going to celebrate. Jesus is saying, while I am here, let's party. When I leave, then you can fast. Then look at where he goes next. Verse 21. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and whip, rip away from the old cloth, leaving even a bigger tear than before. Well, good deal. Just what we needed. Some seamstress tips. You gotta be, you gotta be smart about this seamstress stuff, you know, because that's only how, that's, that's how you're gonna get to heaven. You gotta know how to sew on the right patch, right? Is that what Jesus is saying here? <laughs> Sewing tips. Don't sew an unshrunk patch on an old shrunk garment. Pretty simple, right? And same with the wineskins. Don't put new wine in old skin. Let me explain this one a bit. The old patch, or a new patch on an old piece of garment is, is sort, of, sort of self-explanatory. It sort of makes sense, right? But the new wine in old wineskin, what are you talking about? Basically, a wineskin was a tanned piece of hide. It was a tanned piece of leather, usually made out of a goat or a sheep. Picture the size of a goat or a sheep, right? about that big, about that big, about that big, right? They would tie off the legs and sew up all the seat, all the gaps, all the holes, right? They'd chop the head off, sew up the, sew up the hole, and they would put their grapes and they'd put their wine in there. They'd put their new wine in there. And as it fermented or as it cured or as it, you know, was, was stored, what happens in the fermenting process? Well, it expands, it expands. And so with leather, does leather expand when you put something in it. Yeah, typically it does. If you've got a leather pair of shoes on your feet right now, when you first put those leather shoes on, for the first three weeks I wore these boots, they hurt my feet like crazy. And I didn't know if I was going to be able to break them in. But you know what? Now they're the most comfortable pair of shoes I own. That wineskin would expand and grow as the, as the wine would ferment inside. And as you would serve it to your guests, you'd, you'd, you'd tap it, you'd, you'd Pull that open, you'd untie a leg, whatever you wanted to do, and, and serve it to your guests. Once all that wine was used up, would it be smart to put 
new wine in that old wineskin. It had already been stretched out. Wineskin's probably good for one or two times, but you know what? By that third time, that wine, that skin had expanded to its maximum capacity and it would no longer hold. It would explode. What's he trying to say here? He's trying to say, my way of thinking, my paradigm is going to be a little bit different. My way not, may not seem normal to the religious. If you come in and try to put a little piece of, of Jesus on your life, a little Jesus patch on your life, and hope it sticks, it's not going to hold. It will tear your life apart. If you come in to Jesus and try to get a quick fix, it's not going to work. Jesus says, my way of thinking, my way of loving others and reaching out to the sick is going to be radical. It's going to be crazy. It's going to make me seem like a wild man. If you're not willing to change your entire way of thinking, tear it down and rebuild with the proper materials. If, if we can't take our lives and flush them down the toilet, our way of thinking, our thought processes, our, our way of doing life. If we can't get rid of that completely and let Jesus build, it's going to be a mess. It's not going to work. Those spiritual, those religious will have to start over and restructure. I don't think he's an 80-pound halo-wearing flannel graph or a gun-bearing Rambo with an ammo belt. But he is going to change the structure of our lives. He's not here just to leave us like we are. He's here to change us. He's here to make us into what he wants us to be. He's going to change things up. He's going to build an entirely new structure, a way of thinking that will seem foreign and uncomfortable. Even a new wineskin is going to be stretched. He says if you have religion just to get a better life, if you've got religion just to get a better life, it's not going to work. So there's the old school terms, now let's apply them. A physician only helps those who know they are sick. If you aren't willing to continue to be taught and changed, if you aren't willing to remain humble and moldable, then he probably won't have much use for you. If you've, if you've found righteousness and lo- no longer need much grace, then he's probably not a part of your life. Jesus brings a radical new religion, one that requires change, a willingness to learn and be moved by grace. Change your old life. Trade it for a new way of thinking. This current system is coming to, of coming to church to make you feel better about yourself. Jesus says, he's not going to fit. He's looking for complete overhaul on your value system. <coughs> A physician only helps those who know they are sick. And second, religion is about membership and rules. Jesus, on the other hand, is about relationships. It's not just about you and God. It's about you and others and God. Right? He comes in with a new commandment. He says, this new commandment I give to you. But you know what? He's holding up two fingers. Because number one, love God. Number two, love others. That's the new commandment. That's what makes it new. Because others are included. If this church stuff to you is just about you having a happy afterlife then Jesus probably is not going to fit your way of thinking. 
We have a tendency to reach out to people to, to reassure them that they're okay. And we also have a tendency to, to reach out to people after they have changed. Yeah. That's not the way Jesus did things. We need to see people through Jesus' lens. They smell a little different. They look a little different. They act a little different. They are the ones we need to reach out to. Some might say, well, well they, just, they just aren't safe. They, just, they, they might infect my kids. Doesn't that sound exactly like the Pharisees? If we ever become the church that puts people in little boxes and categories, if we ever start saying that we no longer need people like this or like that, I don't think Jesus will have any need for our church anymore. God and his church, along with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, says, come as you are, but there has to be change. He's a God that says, don't turn this into a membership club with rituals. Make it be about people, about others. We looked at this passage of scripture and and I want to ask a question. The title of my message this morning is, why are you here today? Where are you? There are three places described in this passage of scripture. One, there's there's a Pharisee and you may be one of them. You may have not realized that you're one of them, but maybe after listening to these things today, maybe you kind of find yourself in that spot. Are you one that makes church all about you? Well, these chairs just aren't very comfortable, and it's pretty cold in here today, and you know, those kids are really distracting when they sit in front of me, and are we making church all about me, or are we making it all about everyone else here? You see the difference? Well, it's just inconvenient to get up at 9 o'clock every Sunday morning. Is that about you or is that about everybody else? Do you make sure that you are better than others? Do you have your passport stamped and you're so close to heaven that you can smell it? Are you making sure that no thing and no one will contaminate your status? Jesus is saying if you aren't willing to throw out your own value system, your own value system... And love these like I have and do. Then stand on the outside and just judge. 10, 20, 30 years of Christianity can easily get us to slide into this spot. This category of Pharisee. Don't be comfortable there. Jesus hated them. He had no time for the Pharisees. And Jesus will have no time for us if we allow ourselves to slip into that spot. If you are. If you feel yourself sliding into that spot, there needs to be a change. Don't wait. Change it now. Understand that there's still a sickness inside that has to be dealt with on a daily basis, sometimes hourly. Second place you might be is a Matthew. You might be this tax collector, this Levi that he called out of the tax collector's booth. Do you consider yourself a sinner saved by grace? Are you a follower of Christ that realizes he changed your life forever? Do you call yourself a follower? Are you in love with those who Jesus loves? Are you looking for others who have changed? Or are you looking to be a change agent? Don't worry about the world rubbing off on you. Just keep rubbing off on the world. Be a Matthew. Be a follower of Jesus Christ that's willing to rub off on others.
Or you could be in that third spot. You could be Matthew's friends. Those disreputable sinners that feel pretty comfortable hanging out with Matthews and even having dinner with Jesus. But you're in real need of some change. Do you need to leave your sexual identity? Do you need to leave your addiction? Do you need to leave your anger? It may be something else. It may be something else that we haven't mentioned this morning. But maybe it's, it's causing the sickness inside. This isn't me talking. Jesus is calling for radical change. Whatever it is, make a change. There was a church that started reaching out to prostitutes. They realized that, that near their church on the school campus, there were, there were many prostitutes, and they were hanging out there, and they were selling themselves. And the ladies from the church began a coffee ministry, and they began having conversations with, with these ladies, and things began to happen. It was all fine and good until some of the prostitutes started showing up to church, and their kids were in the same class as some of the church kids. Then there was a problem there was an identity problem. They said, do we really want to be like Christ? Or do we want to continue the country club membership the way it's always been? God, may we be always be the church with open seats. With open hearts. With open minds. Never ever forget that we are sick. And you brought forgiveness and love and healing. May we be a church that will have empty seats for anyone from anywhere. And yet with a message that's politically incorrect. A message of change. May you find us being useful and not just religious for the sake of being a religion. I don't know about you, but this message finds me. This, this message changed me. As I studied and as I learned what Jesus expects and what Jesus was, it's molded me. It's made me think of people a little bit differently. It's made me love a little more genuinely. I hope it's done the same for you. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for sending your son and the forgiveness that that brings to those of us who realize we're sick. God, I pray that you will forgive our sins, that you will continue to pour into us and to love on us so that we can continue to pour into and love on others. God, help us to be a forgiving people. Help us to be a, a, a merciful and, and people full of grace when we come in contact with others. But God, help us be people that are willing to change, people that are willing to align our thoughts and align our ways to think more like you think, to act more like Jesus acted when he was here. God, help us to be Jesus with skin on. Help us to be you with skin on. As we leave here, as we go into discussion groups, as the kids go to class, Lord God, wherever, we, wherever, wherever we're taken, God, help us to be that for you. Thank you for the love that you've shown us. Thank you for sharing that love with us. And God, we want, to, we want to express our love for you. God, thank you. We love you. We appreciate what you've done for us. God, help us to show it. 
as we go away from here this morning. God, thank you so much for this time. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We have some amazing things going on this afternoon, this evening.